Good day and welcome to the Cincy Simon Bearcat Podcast. I'm Kuma, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? If you have kids in the car, on the head, on the headset with you for the next 20 seconds, I need you to cover their ears starting now. It is a great fucking day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan. The greatest of fucking days of our entire lives. It is here. We did it. AAC champions. College football playoffs. Welcome, the Cincinnati Bearcats. How sweet it is, sir. How sweet it is. I'm happy. I'm ecstatic that I sound like someone who went to the American Athletic Conference Championship game and screamed for three consecutive hours because that's basically what happened. Every single person that walked by me in the stadium got a fist pump and got a an optimistic, big, thick energy, buddy, everybody. Big, thick energy. Just reminding people constantly, look, folks, it's 14, 13, but in halftime and, and there's maybe some nerves. No, no, we've got this completely under control. We're the better team. Fickle has the answers. Fickle's had every answer during the entirety of his coaching career here at the University, University of Cincinnati. And now it's December 5th, 2021, and we've been invited to the College Football Invitational. The Bearcats made the dance. We're heading to Dallas to compete to win a national championship in college football. Massive. And to your point, was I nervous at halftime? A little bit. Uh, I remember just I remember saying to the watch party that we were with um, at a baby shower, and me and my friend of the pod camp app are literally sitting on carpet with two toddlers that are not ours. Watch making them watch football. And one of them looks at me and goes, why do, why do you yell at the football game? <laughs> My dad doesn't yell at the football game. And I was like, you know, in the politest of ways, well, your, your father's not watching the football game correctly. Um, but I remember sitting there thinking, all right, we just need to get the halftime, go into halftime with the lead. Fick's going to make the adjustments. We're going to come back out and we're going to stomp the second, the second half. Well, you would have been a very, very correct man. And I hope you allocated some units onto that, that prediction so that you could uh, pay off the old mortgage. <laughs> it was, it was an interesting day. Where do we start? Hummer? Like, do we start with the, the game day experience? Do we start with the game itself? We probably start with the game itself and kind of break down what happened on the field. Um, you know, before, by the time before we break down what's happened on the field, let, let me give you guys some props. You and everybody else in the city of Cincinnati who went to that game, it looked incredible on television. Like it, it filmed beautifully. The city of Cincinnati shined like the brightest diamond in, in the pile, the, the brightest sky in a star. The North, the North Star has nothing on the crown of the queen city. You guys were phenomenal. You guys were loud, energetic. Uh, the, the screen was constantly moving with just, with just you guys bouncing up and down constantly. 
you know, the, the chance of being able to be audibly heard of, of the CFP and, and, and big, big thick energy, um, you know, absolutely beautiful. You guys crushed it. And seeing you all rushing the field the way you did, uh, the way the team was embracing the fans the way they did, uh, just everything, it, it brought tears to my eyes. I, I thank you guys for, for, for helping me as someone who doesn't get to, get to the good of these games experience that the emotion that that you guys were all feeling in that stadium i'm glad it came across on tv because it was electric the entire time the, the entire stadium sat for everything except halftime they, they they rested their weary legs uh for that those 15 minutes in between second and third quarters but otherwise the the, the fans in the stands all across the stadium were standing were loud were cheering they were they were loud at all the right moments. They were raucous and booing and and doing that performance all at the right moments. And uh, yeah, you know, I actually ended up sitting right on the outside or I guess in the back of the student section with your brother, I might add, uh, and and cousin. But very good time, and I'm glad I did it too because that those that fan base and that that student section gets rowdy. And that's where I wanted to be like I going into the stadium, have having a few beverages, having, you know, warmed up at the Republic of Cincinnati and, and getting to say hi to all those guys over there. It was a, it was just electric from the moment kickoff happened. And the first quarter didn't necessarily go how we expected. I think Houston had a lot more success moving the ball early on than we would have anticipated smart game planning, right? Short passes, short routes. Um, didn't really allow our defense or, or and our and our defensive front to get to Clayton Toon early on. And and it seemed to catch us a bit off guard. But it what's nice is despite the the slowish start by the defense, we have an offense that can pick up where the where they're where they're off. And it wasn't a game where the Bearcats offense struggled to move the ball two touchdowns on the first two drives. Um, I thought that was really, really big from a confidence boosting standpoint, because we have had games this season where we come out flat. We're not scoring. Can't put, put drives together. Our touchdown drives didn't require a third down conversion. We actually didn't convert a third down the entire game, but the explosiveness was very evident from quarter one in terms of what the Bearcats have on the field these days. Tyler Scott, Alec Pierce, Jerome Ford. Just there are so many guys on this team to make big plays and and not necessarily when you can't string a long drive together, you don't necessarily need to because we've got guys who can take it 40 plus yards for for tutties. It's funny as you're sitting you're sitting that we were having trouble moving the ball and it's like, yeah, you know, it didn't seem, you know, half the game we were only playing the high school offense, you know. A few, like half the game we got a little creative but you know the drone ford touchdown was the definition of uh running up the gut <laughs> 70 fewer yards for the tutty <laughs> beautiful jerome ford is so fast once he gets into the secondary it's like every time he does it it's like if he, he gets tripped and that's fine that happens but it you know he has if you don't trip him he's in the secondary he's gone you're not catching him no, you're, you're not catching him. And we watch that from behind him. So you can sort of see him make that initial cut. The field opens up a bit and you realize, oh, it's even, which means he's leaving. Like this guy is not going to be caught 
by a Houston defensive back. He is an exceptional athlete with incredible speed, and he's got the quickness to pair with it. So he can hit that top line speed almost immediately where he's revving up, uh, maxing out his RPMs and, and just, you know, making a mad dash to the end zone. I think that's his, you know, third or fourth 70 plus yard touchdown on the season, throw in a few extra 40 yard, 40 plus yard tutties. Like this guy, he's an amazing and amazing talent and he gets a chance to get revenge upon his former school, which I think is going to be a, a fun a fun storyline for this upcoming matchup with Alabama. I mean, 187 yards on the ground for Jerome Ford. 187. Three more yards, and the man has more passing yards, more rushing yards than Dez Ritter has throwing. It's he's electric. It's incredible. Um, Jerome Ford finished, but with, he's been doing it all. He's been doing it all year. I was going to say 200 yards. 1,242 yards rushing. I'm sorry, 200 rushing attempts, 1,242 yards rushing, 19 touchdowns, six yards per carry. He went over, like, no matter what your predictions were preseason, he hit the over on everything. (laughs) He was all that and more. Like, you could see it in the Georgia game with the big run, the big second half run um, that ended our season last year. We knew coming into the season, yes, Jared Dokes, amazing, you know, option out of the backfield, especially in the receiving game. You know, he's a better receiver out of the backfield, was was elite in pass protect, elite in pass protection. And Jerome Ford, what he brings is is pure ball carrier, is pure electric, unstoppable running force where we're not we can't we're not just going to hit you with big plays in the passing game anymore. We're going to hit you with big plays on the running game, too. Well, I still am of the school that I think they need to to give Jerome Ball, Jerome Ball, Jerome Ford, a couple more uh, uh, throwing attempts his way throughout the game because he seems to. If you get him out in space, he's able to make guys miss. He's able to get down the field quickly. Um, you know, he he's only had a few receptions on the year, but every time he does, you know, they're 15, 20 yard receptions. And, you know, he has to do a lot of that work with, with yards after the catch. So I, I think that that's one thing if I had to give a criticism, because the offense, like you said, it was, it was big play, big play and out, man. It was, it was big plays and, and get off the field. We were dominated in terms of uh, time of possession, but it's sorry. When you score too quick, you score too quick, uh, <laughs> you know? So, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing them actually give him a couple more touches as a, as a receiver, um, to let him get some some chances to get out in space because he is he is dangerous. We see it every time he gets the space in the secondary. It's he's off. He's gone. Um, it's another crit- thing that it's another thing that the the defense needs to watch out for is Jerome Ford coming out of the backfield without the ball in his hand. He would have been the offensive player of the year in the American Athletic Conference if his if he didn't play on the same team with the offensive player of the year. <laughs> I- uh, you know, like that, that's, that's a good way to put it. That's the second best <laughs> offensive player in the American athletic conference this season. The The best one was, was, you know, taking the snap and handing the ball off to him. That's a nice, that's a nice one, two punch to have. If you're a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, you, you actually alluded to some of the statistical anomalies in this game, Hummer, and they're worth pointing out. Um, Houston had the ball for 40 minutes and 19 seconds in this game. The Bearcats had the ball for 19 minutes and 41 seconds. The Bearcats converted zero of eight third down opportunities. They were zero of one fourth down opportunities. 
They had 46 total snaps. Houston had 76 total snaps. Um, let's put that let's put that in perspective real quick before we before we move on to the another stat. Houston only scored 20 points. Right. Houston scored only three points in the second quarter and three points in the third quarter, yet they had the ball twice as much as we did. Our defense did a stellar job when you take into account how much they were, how long they were on the field and how many opportunities Houston had to throw up numbers. Classic Ben, but, but don't break, right? Like they, they did allow for some yardage. Houston finished with 336 total yards, which it actually is not overwhelming. I think you saw us in the second half really pin them down, but Houston only went five of 15 on third down conversions. Now they did add two of three on fourth down after that, which is, which is the right move. Like they were properly aggressive on fourth downs, which which is something that more and more teams are realizing you have to do when you're close to midfield. Like you really have no business punting the ball in those situations, but especially against the Bearcats, I'm sure Dana Holgerson and their staff went into the game thinking we have to dominate the time of possession. We have to keep the ball away from the Bearcats, wear down this defense, get them tired and kind of play a game of keep away, which has been somewhat successful uh, for other teams, you know, relatively speaking, like we saw Tulsa execute a game strategy like that. We saw Tulane attempt it and, and have some success in the first half. Um, it was successful in the first half for them. I mean, it was, they yes. were, they were down by one going into halftime. If you're Houston and you're, you're watching that game, you have to be excited with the first half. You have to be coming out with, with some hope that, wow, I, I think we, we can pull this upset off because you did, you executed the game script. You kept the ball for the most part out of our hands when we were, you kept our defense on the field and you went in down one point at halftime, but the third quarter, you, you everything falls apart in your world. Uh, you know, the nightmare comes, becomes true. Uh, it's, it's like, well, it's, it's just your, the worst possible scenario if you're, you're a Houston Cougars fan in, in the third quarter. So when you're in a game like that and the other team has the ball for 40 minutes, the big thing is it, the, it can be problematic if you start having a few drives that don't end in points because all of a sudden, like, it snowballs. But we sent out these statistics, and Chris, ba- Chris Baines replied to it on Twitter, and I thought he kind of added additional perspective on that, which is valuable, which is what the Bearcats now have on this team is truly explosive, big-time playmaking players all over the field. And they have the ability as an offense to still score points, even when the time of possession is down. Like the fact that the Bearcats can put up 35 points in 19 minutes of ball possession is a sign of a completely changed dynamic that didn't exist three years ago. It didn't exist two years ago. We saw flashes of it last season. And now this year with Pierce fully healthy, with Scott now on the other side of the field running incredibly, you know, blazing fast routes that are stretching the field all over the place. Trey Tucker gets in the mix occasionally. Jerome's forward big playability from the backfield. What you're seeing now is an offense that says, we can beat you with the, with the, with the short completions, with the running game, with a 12-play drive, but we can also ble- beat you with our explosive pit playmaking. This well, I was going to say, it reminded me of the Notre Dame game, which was, you know, I think we went one of 11 on third down conversions in that game, scored, 
what did you finish with that in that game? 24 points, 24, 13. But if you look at our, if you look at our drives, our, our scoring was largely done in the form of, of big play, explosive play, um, game breaking type plays. And that's again, what we saw with Houston. So I was going to say with the receiving too, and I guess you can, you can point to a similar trend all over the place. It's not like we have a group of like four or five guys we're throwing the ball to seven different receivers, seven different players caught balls in this game, three touchdowns scored and only 190 yards in the air. Like it's very, very efficient, you know, and, and Alec Pierce, only two receptions, but big ones, right? Um, Josh Wiley got in the game, got, got, got in, got involved with the passing game. Only three, only three, three receptions. But Scott had one, Montgomery had one, Ford had one, Tucker had one, Taylor had one. And it's funny because we were talking about the players with, with uh, the podcast, Scott and Holman about, you know, players to watch out for that and maybe you're under the radar. And it was funny because I think we mentioned that, that Taylor was one of those guys and he only had one catch, but it was a big one. And Josh Wiley too. I mean, we mentioned the fact that the tight ends would be a, would be a staple for Des and could be in this game. And that certainly proved true. Something yeah. that we, we weren't as correct about is I don't think I saw coming a game script that would allow the Bearcats to rush the ball 28 times and throw it only 17 times and still win the game handedly. Now that to me, your quarterback throws 17 times and throws a touchdown on three of those passes. Your running back only carries it 18 times and gets 187 yards. Like they didn't, the explosive play sort of changed the game and the outlook a little bit. But again, the Bearcats were able to impose their will like they did on Houston in 2020 despite having, you know, a, a, an offensive line that hasn't been as dominant this season, but they are, they're still proving that against the defensive front like Houston that comes in, that's, that's very formidable. They give up only one sack. They Houston only gets three tackles for loss. Like they basically completely nullified that offensive line and did not allow them to win that matchup, which is huge and gives the, gives our quarterback the time he needs to complete passes and gives Jerome Ford the holes he needs to take it to the house. So kudos to our offensive line. They deserve a shout out for this performance. Like um, everybody, kudos, kudos to everybody. If, if obviously Jerome Ford is getting my, my imaginary offensive ball of uh, player of the game. I mean, you, you can't, you can't, there's no way around that, man. Two, two big explosive plays for touchdowns, you know, f- absolutely phenomenal effort there. Um, but Des Ritter, once again, if Des Ritter is playing for Houston, he's getting the offensive ball because he was he was good. He 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 did not. There were zero interceptions thrown. He threw three touchdowns. He was efficient, and he ran the ball. He ran the ball when needed to. Seven seven carries, nineteen yards. I think he did a great job for us. I think he did exactly what we needed to do to keep Houston guessing. And and I'm I'm not, I don't think I'm as surprised as you are about the balanced play calling. You know, you mentioned we didn't get a lot of plays called to begin with, but it was pretty much balanced. And that kind of seems to be the way we operate, regardless, is, is more of a trying to do a balanced attack. What is surprising to me, or maybe it shouldn't be at this point, is that we are at times so prepared to die on the mountain that is running the football between the tackles. <laughs> and that, that part can be frustrating. But look, when it works, it works. This game, I, I'd say it worked. Jerome Ford had his, his first touchdown on a run between the tackles. So Des took one sack. He attempted 17 passes. So on 18 dropbacks, 
out of 46 plays, you're looking at 39% of our plays play calls going toward passing. To me, you know, maybe you argue that's balanced. I would say that this season we've seen us lean much more heavily on the passing game. That's all I'm saying. Like we didn't actually need Des to to be incredibly aggressive with his arm. And a lot of that again because it's probably play script too. It's game script. It's just game script. It's it's the fact that we were scoring touchdowns and getting big chunks of yardage um and not even needing third downs as a way to score points. So I think there's a number of factors that played into it, but it is interesting to sort of what your expectations are coming into a game and then versus what actually happens on the field. Mm. If you're looking at offensive line and defensive line performances, our defense ended up with eight sacks, 12 tackles for a loss. So juxtapose that with what Houston did and how our offensive line stifled their, their impact on the game, knowing that, you know, fickle and Denbrock and those guys are scheming saying, we have to find a way to, to scheme around this aggressive Houston defensive line that can change a game. Well, on the other end, apparently Houston fell asleep at the wheel when it came to what our defensive line can do. Eight sacks, 12 tackles for loss, hurrying the QB all over the place, sending Sauce off the edge, which is, which is definitely one of the loudest moments in the crowd in the stadium, is when Sauce oh, came around the, the edge only, for that sack. That was so perfect, and and this is not a criticism at all. And I don't want this to be taken as a criticism. I immediately was when I saw Sauce coming off the edge, and like, oh, he's about to, he's about to crush Tune. And I'm just like, fumble, 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 fumble. I immediately just expected <laughs> there to be a fumble with how hard he he crushed Tune. Uh, absolutely flawless by by Sauce. But I was expecting the fumble with another scoop and score. Uh, just freaking incredible. Absolutely amazing. And uh, the Blancos interception might be one of my favorite interceptions I've seen in my entire life because it's like he's just, he doesn't seem like he's there. And all of a sudden, the linebacker just jump, he's just jumping up, reaching up, and just grabs this pass like, you are mine. Thank you. <laughs> like, Tune had to be so, he had to be like, where did he come from? Cause like it, he, it's like, he came out of nowhere, just reaches up and grabs a pass and intercepts like in the middle of the pass. Like that ball was going another 15 yards or so <laughs> before, you know, if he doesn't catch it, like, it was, it was an extraordinary play by Dublanco <laughs> and it was an extraordinary day for him on the field. He had also had two sacks, two tackles for loss, just a, an emphatic performance from him on a night that has to be, you know, this is one of these guys who's been, been with the Bearcats for years now. You know, when the, he's part of the senior leadership that makes this team so savvy, so calm, so poised. And to, to have a night like that in a game that ultimately sends the Bearcats to the college football playoff is, is so, so special. Anything else in this game in particular you wanted to get to when we're talking about the specifics of it before we get into more of the big, big picture talk? <laughs> I'm going to mention it. No one wants us to. No one wants to think about it. We missed another field goal. <laughs> they put up the stat on the TV, guys. Seven for 16 at the time of that attempt. I think it now seven for 17, I think it is, or 18 on the year for field goal kicking. I am now fully on board to stop kicking field goals over 20 yards. Let's just not do it. It's fourth and 23. Go for it. All right, go for fourth and 23. It's, it's just probably better for us because, frankly, we cannot kick field goals to save our lives. 
that is truly like that is like the downfall for how balanced this team is to have such a, re, a such a bad kicker. There has to be someone somewhere anywhere like that can kick a field goal. But not going to harp well, on, on it. On it the didn't kicker, come into on, play. On the kicker front, we have a. Uh, I, I think he might listen to the podcast. I know he follows us on Twitter. Doug Smith. I think his last name is Smith. Um, he's at D E S Myth M I F F on Twitter. Was sending out clips earlier this week of a kicker from I think Delaware. Now I didn't investigate this any further, and I don't know if there's rumors about this this kicker maybe transferring to UC, but he was he was banging in like fifty yarders, and I saw Doug retweet <laughs> retweeting these kicker highlights, and I thought to myself, I hope that what Doug is doing is scouting transfer portal kickers for coach Luke for coach Vic. (laughs) I like the idea that there's no rumor tied to this and that he's just scouring the internet for guys who can kick field goals for next season. Like he's like, look, I can't take it anymore. Enough of this. Let's get a guy in here who can blast it in from 45. I, I can't, I really can't take it because here at the end of the day, if this is the situation, right? Let's reverse what happened at Georgia last year, and we're staring down the barrel of a 53-yard field goal to win the game, to advance us to the national championship, and we have to knock in a 53-yard field goal against Alabama. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on Twitter. I'm going to tweet just like I'm going to tweet. This is a loss, just like Neil Slate. This is a loss. Right, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna take my shirt off, and I'm gonna go change into a new shirt, and um, you know, and I'm gonna take my pants off or something to sit in the, sit in the living room, sit in the stadium naked, because I'm gonna be so freaking nervous, uh, because I know that the odds are likely less than fifty fifty that that kick's going in. Yeah, it's not great. It's not so, great. And there's and there's not much to say about it. It's not like it's not like Christian Lowry's trying to miss field goals. Yeah, none of these guys are trying to, and that's why I don't want to like bash them too much. But it's like, from a strategy standpoint, at what point do we stop being insane about it? What at what point does the coach just realize, okay, we can't do this anymore. We're going for it. We're gonna punt. What 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 what's what's the level? Like, where do we have to be for that? When we see that it's fourth and twenty three. We're on the twenty. We're on like the thirty yard line. So we're staring down that like forty seven yard field goal and we literally go for it on fourth and 23 from the 30. What's funny is I think Luke Fickle's already <laughs> in the mindset of going for those. I don't, I don't think he has much of an issue going for those short uh, fourth and shorts out near 30, 35, 40, 45 I just yard said fourth lines. and 23. Like we just got sacked. Oh, a fourth huge and sack. We had a penalty <laughs> in there, something we're fourth and 23 from the 30 yard line. And we're just being like, yeah, guys, you know what? We're going for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. Maybe, maybe at that point though, it's enough of a hail mary where you just you, you damned if you the do, damned if you don't. Favor to still kick the field goal because it's 50-50. But let's talk about the situation for this play, right? We kicked a field goal on fourth and goal from the Houston five. Now he probably sends the field goal unit out thinking we're at the five yard line. This is a chip shot. This is a point after. We should have no problem making the shot, making this kick. I said shot because we've got uh, the basketball game playing in the background here. Uh, as, as a little reveal when you're at the five yard line against Houston, maybe just maybe you'd go incredibly aggressive, go for the touchdown on that play, knowing that if we have to send Houston 
make Houston go 95 yards against our defense, we feel really good about our odds there. And Houston, in fact, would have would they have also, I think, been. I could be wrong on that, but weren't they going to be backed up to our student section? Wouldn't they yeah. have been operating with the student section right behind them? I would have loved to see Fickle go for it rather than kick the field goal there. Oh, man. Oh, it was. Well, there, there's still plenty of good things to talk about, because I think if you're looking at the blemish on this that's team, the, that's, that's the only bad thing I can find is the kicking game. And look, we all knew it was coming. So it is what it is. What just perplexes me about it in the last I'll say about it is we are automatic. That's me knocking on wood when it comes to extra points. So there's that like extra points. I'm not I'm generally not worried about them, but, you know, anything a yard past extra point, I'm freaking out. Um, so there's that, but yeah, this game was awesome. This game was fun. And guess what? Did you, did you read that article yet from, uh, I think it was from our, our good friend, Pete, Pete Thamels with the Brad Stevens interview yet. I didn't read that one. I read Chris Vanini's article about his experience at the game, which was also fantastic. So let me, let, let me, because this will lead into the big kind of that big picture conversation. So let, let me give you like a little synopsis of basically what the article and what Brad Stevens was, was going for here. Brad Stevens, legendary coach of the University of Butler, which were they, was that, which league was that, where that was Butler in at the time before the Big East? Was that Horizon? Horizon, yeah. Horizon, total mid-major, probably even below the MAC in terms of like prestigiousness, not a very good conference, but had back-to-back final four teams make incredible runs and he talks about the pressure that those teams faced because of the conference that they were in uh, the, in order to get automatic, you know, the qualifying bid to the NCAA tournament that not only did they have to go perfect during league play, they have to go perfect and win the tournament just to get into the NCAA tournament. And he says that the pressure with that is so great for those kids because you can't mess up. And every single week you go out there, the teams you're playing, this is we've heard this from Saban before too, but this is their Super Bowl, right? Every single team is coming out to give you their best shot. And so that's why it's so incredibly difficult. But he, he points out that once they get to the NCAA tournament, the pressure is lifted. There's no more pressure being perfect at that point. And they play freer. They open up, they loosen up. And his comments regarding Cincinnati in particular were, I see the Bearcats getting into the playoff and loosening up and, and playing a little more free. And, and, and not having to worry about, you know, the, those, mis- you know, making those, those little, I don't want to say mental mistakes, but just playing a more, the version of themselves that they truly want to be able to be being extra aggressive on defense, not having to worry about playing prevent all that good stuff. So I'm excited about that. I think that is something that to, I think we're going to look forward to because guess what? We get to play Alabama and they know how it feels to have everybody giving their best shot. And we're going to give them their, our best shot in a few weeks. That's a fantastic article. And, and what you should do is send me that link and I'll put it in the show notes so that we make sure everybody has, has access to it and, and is pointing to the right direction. But I think there's so much truth to that concept for this team in particular. The Bearcats came into the season with fans, namely this podcast, expecting and demanding 13-0. Anything less than that. And this season would have been deemed, I mean, it's harsh, but it likely would have been deemed a failure. It would have been deemed underachieving. It would have been deemed a missed opportunity. But instead, as Dan Horn said it, we seized the opportunity. The team went 13-0. And next opportunity game... Opportunity seized. Opportunity seized. 
the next the next game we play is against Alabama, and the entire nation is going to be expecting Alabama to roll Cincinnati. They're going to expect, and, and frankly, Alabama players are entering this game with either two, two mentalities. One, a dismissive attitude because they're playing the Cincinnati Bearcats from the American Athletic Conference. And elitist that's gonna happen. sort of arrogant mentality that comes from just being a, in a different caliber, a different caliber of recruit, a different caliber of hype and, and being from the SEC conference. Or they come in with the attitude of, oh, my God, what if we lose? What if we lose to Cincinnati? Like, how are we going to be remembered if we're Alabama in the college football playoff, the number one seed, and we lose to this G5 program in Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now, I mean, don't, don't you think there's some truth to that? Like, this is something. No, I'm, I'm honestly, stuff. I get the narrative that, that we're painting here, but the national media, and by national media, I mainly, in this case, mean Las Vegas, <laughs> which is not a media entity at all, is kind of, I guess, I don't know if I take this as a compliment or what, but only being 13 and a half point underdogs, to Alabama, uh, last year I think we were we were like seventeen and a half, eighteen and a half going into the Georgia game. Um, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of a air of respect. I don't think they're giving us enough respect, but you know, I was expecting a you know the hypothetical odds to come out to the be more of more of like a three touchdown type of of victory they're expecting from Alabama. But the what odds, think, the, the line, the line is not the national media. Hummer. We've heard how I know, the national I, media I, thinks about I, this. Uh, I said Vegas. I said Vegas. And if I said that's not the national media, but I'm going by Vegas here. Yeah, but they, that's not what dictates respect. Like respect comes from how Vegas Lee Corso, all, how Vegas, Kirk, Vegas is the respect factor. How Kirk Herbstreet trotted out Lee Corso on a weekly basis to mock the idea of Cincinnati Bearcats making the playoff. See, it's Vegas. It's Vegas Paul, is in analytics. It's all numbers. No, I get it's that. Not, it's not some talking head. It's not Lee Corso trying to make people laugh and like him by picking the mascot head and putting it on and parading himself as a clown. Right. That's the smart people. The smart people are Vegas. And the smart money in Vegas is saying, you know what? Alabama is not that much better than Cincinnati. Uh, pump the brakes. They're saying they're two touchdowns better. <laughs> Dude, two, almost two <laughs> touchdowns better. <laughs> okay. Two touchdowns into. Either way, I was expecting a higher higher line than that, so I think that's good. But I, I think what we're gonna get, we're gonna get Nick Saban's best. I think we are. I, I think that we're gonna get an Alabama team that's prepared to play the Bearcats. But I think on the other side of the coin, they're gonna get a Bearcats team that's ready to play Alabama. You know, someone was talking to me this week and they said, "Do you really want to play Nick Saban when he has a month to prepare for the Bearcats?" And I'm like, "Sure." Because Luke Fickle is going to have a month to prepare for Alabama. We saw how well that went with Georgia. When we have a month to prepare too, Luke, we have we also have something that Alabama has. We have elite NFL talent on our roster, and we have an elite head coach. Correct, correct. And, and while I started taking that conversation to the mentality of of Alabama players, the point of that article was to say that the Cincinnati Bearcats are no longer playing with the the burden of what happens if we don't win by 21 points. What happens if Tulane actually keeps this game within three touchdowns? What happens if we lose 
to Houston. Like all of that's gone because you have achieved your goal. The goal this season was going undefeated. The goal this season was controlling everything you can control. And if everything breaks right, maybe you make the college football playoff. They've done that. And I'm not saying that that means they're going to pack it up and, and call it a day. No, it means they get to go into this Alabama game more free mentally from the expectations and from the stress and the anxiety that comes with having to be perfect. And now it's just about playing football. It's getting out there for the next three weeks and figuring out how can we beat Alabama? Because if they do, if they figure out that key and if they upset them, they're playing to win the championship. Oh, oh well, I am not, I am not going to, I guess this, what's the right way to say it? I'm going to be going in there with the idea that there's no more nervousness about this game because like you just mentioned it, right? We're here. There's no, the expectations are, you know what the expectations are, frankly, the expectations are that we get crushed. If you listen to everybody who's not a UC fan, well, you don't want to put them in there because they're just going to, they're going to get their ass whooped. Well, you know what? Great. I'm glad that we have the opportunity to either one, get our ass kicked by Alabama to play Alabama close or three, win the freaking game. Right. That's what we have. So great. There's no expectations here. We're just going to go in and we're going to play football and this team is going to do great things. Don't let anybody trick you into debating or, or, or trick you into legitimizing the argument that the result of this Alabama game, it determines whether UC should have been in the playoff. The Bearcats went 13 and 0. They beat Notre Dame on their home field. Alabama just whooped Georgia. They whooped Georgia. Georgia just got embarrassed by Alabama. Everybody is capable of being embarrassed by Alabama at some point in their Correct. life. The Bearcats earned their spot in the college football playoff by going undefeated and by playing games that frankly weren't that close. They had one close game all season, Hummer. One close game. Two and if you count Navy. I don't count Navy personally in my record books. Some people do. That, that wasn't a close game to me. Tulsa, close game. Look at the close records game. of the two teams in the American Athletic Conference Championship. Before, before the end of the game. <laughs> 12 right. and 0, 11 and 1. In order to make the American Athletic Conference Championship game, you had to either go one undefeated or two only lose one of your games. Can you say that about the big 10 championship? No. Can you say that about the big 12 championship? No. Pac 12 championship. No. I know we're getting facetious here, but ACC championship. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Only one other conference had an undefeated team playing in their championship with a, another one loss squad. And that was the sec. It is a hard thing to do to go undefeated in any conference. I'm not trying to compare the, the, the quality of the teams from top to bottom from the American athletic conference, the, the sec. My point is it's still a challenge to do that. And we did it. We accomplished it. We earned this spot and here we are. No other conference champion had to do what we did. I agree. I, no one did. No one had to go undefeated to win their conference. We did. We're the only undefeated team in the entire country. You were allowed to lose games and win the Big Ten. You weren't allowed to lose games and win the American Athletic. That's, and that's the point we're getting at, though. Like that, that's the expectation of perfection. It's the demand of perfection. And, that, and the team gets to leave that behind. 
They get to leave that behind now. It's in the past. They get to go into practice on Monday. They're they're going into practice on Monday, and it's the mentality is, how do we win this game? Style points, blah, blah, blah. None of that. None of that matters anymore. Do you think we're going to get on the play, pump it up in the cotton ball? (laughs) I sure hope so. I sure (laughs) hope so. I know we'll be pumping it up ourselves. We booked our tickets, buddy. Tickets are booked. Hotels are booked. Uh, If anybody's trying to... To I guess tag along some plans. We're gonna stay at the fabulous Sheraton Hotel in downtown Dallas. It was a nice cross between affordability and if it's warm enough, I'm busting out some swim trunks. Uh, <laughs> so be ready for that. Uh, it's also like 20, like twenty. I think it was like twenty, maybe thirty minutes tops over over to uh, AT and T Stadium in Arlington. Uh, so not not too not too bad of a, a drive. Yeah, we're looking to have some fun here. Got the request in for tickets through the old UCATS program. Um, maybe if we're lucky, you guys are going to somehow see our mugs on the sidelines. I don't know. You'll see. We'll find out, Hummer. We'll see. We don't know. We'll see how special we really are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't phrase it that way because I think we know the answer there. Um, <laughs> I did want to – that's probably a good moment, by the way, to shout out. Um, man, I should have I should have prepared this, but – a lot of people got there who, especially the, the folks who subscribe to Spotify, sent out some messages this week sharing the fact that they were in uh, or that the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast was in their, you know, favorite podcast list, uh, whether it be top five, their number one. If you were one of those people that shared that online and that has spent I mean, I think we did the math and we, we produced like 56 to 60 hours of content this year. Could be a plus or minus a few hours. And there's folks out there who listen to like 98% of those minutes and those hours. And I it really, truly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for spending and letting us into your lives and, and listening to us uh, with that type of dedication because it really is something that kind of keeps us motivated, keeps us thinking how we can make this thing bigger, better, more fun. Um, and so, you know, again, Hummer, I'll let you add on to it, but I thought I, it, it really meant a lot to me to see everybody uh, that shared that information because you know that like we can see things, the downloads are going up, we can see the engagement increasing, but when you see it like put in such a clear way that like we were your favorite podcast of 2021, that feels pretty damn cool. And... As a token of our appreciation, we're going to have something something cool coming your way. Uh, is it official? We can go ahead and, and say what's coming here, right? We've, we've, we're partnering with, with 513 Shirts to produce a Cincy Slangin' t-shirt that is going to be made available. And frankly, it looks awesome. Uh, it's it's sexy. And he did such a good job designing it because it's one of those things where like, if you're going to, you're going to wear this shirt and it's going to be one of those things where like, if you know, you know, if you know, you know, that's how Mike uh, either it, way for those, perfect. the five, the five individuals who shared that with us, we got it. We're going to have a shirt coming your way. Um, so we'll get with you on Twitter on your, we'll, we'll, we'll hook up on the DMS. We'll get the address details. We'll ship them out or meet us down in Dallas. We'll give you one at the, at the tailgate. Uh, we're definitely going to be down there and partying beforehand. Joe Barnett and myself are going to be running a beer mile, I think. Yes, we um, have to organize that. Don't let me yeah, forget. Yeah, so there, there's going to be a lot of fun activities. And if you guys want to participate in the beer mile with us, eh, 
bring four beers and do it with us. <laughs> or, or you just want to stand on the sidelines like I'm going to stand and maybe uh, <laughs> video record the event. You could do that, too. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend running a beer mile, but I do look forward to watching you and Joe kill yourselves before the game. Careful out there, boys. We kill ourselves. <laughs> That's mean. Well, Hummer, I think uh, it feels like we're winding down a bit, and I think it's probably a good spot to leave it. My voice is obviously strained. It's it's pretty comical that I've decided to make my passion project, my hobby, a podcast, and I can't manage to keep my voice healthy. It's one guys. Of the, he has nodes. He has nodes. It's true. <laughs> can't hit the high notes anymore the good day doesn't hit like it used to so the the bearcat game basketball game just ended do we want to spend five ten minutes on the on the basketball squad here i feel like they deserve some some attention yeah let's talk basketball a little bit obviously in the second half in particular we kind of were score watching had the game in the background but you can't watch play to play like all of the details and exactly what's happening and transpiring on the court i will say this a lot of the predictions that were made about this team are coming to fruition. There's a lot of things that I think we can hang our hat on and be proud of and, and be optimistic about. Like, I think the depth is real. There are a lot of players on this team that can play 15 plus minutes a game of, of solid division one basketball. Like that's, that's the reality on this team. There is, there are a lot of options for Wes Miller. But there's also it's also a team that lacks any any substantial volume of shooting, and <laughs> like tonight against Bryant, the team was missing Jeremiah Davenport. And when you take Jeremiah Davenport out of your lineup, I'm typing it up and I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's one of the good shooters on this team. Like that's a tough loss. Not everybody is as replaceable when it comes to like some guys. Some guys have skill sets that are very replicable. I think our big men. Um, a strength is that they're very interchangeable. They all have good size. They largely have similar skill sets and there's, there's a lot of interchangeability there. I think with someone like Jeremiah Davenport, who has the type of size he has, in addition to the shooting prowess, I, he seems somewhat irreplaceable, particularly because of the shooting. Jeremiah Davenport is the only reliable outside threat the Bearcats have on their team. Now, I know Mike Saunders Jr. has been hitting threes at a higher clip this season. I know Micah Adams-Woods has had better shooting seasons. I know David DeJulius, you know, has been knocking down some step-back jumpers. But we're talking about reliable shooting threats. Jeremiah Davenport is the only one on the team. So what does that mean, Hummer? What does that mean when you only have one reliable outside threat on the team? You're going through this list of uh, shooters and performances and i just happened to pull up the uh, the old box score here from this bryant game and <laughs> tonight's not the night for those for those comments but uh you know you're right there's we this team seems to be lacking a player who's who is take i don't want to say the ability to take over games but a guy that's like this is the go-to guy go get a bucket and go do it now and and have high success reliably we go through these still of just frankly the thing that's worrying me isn't necessarily that it's the 
the performance on the board seems to have slipped since the beginning of the season. And we know that if this team is going to upset teams, be successful against better teams, you know, this is, this is the Mick Cronin recipe for wins right now. And in this case, it's, it's the, it's the West Miller recipe for wins rebound, play defense, take care of the ball. Those are the three things we need to do. And when we don't do them, we're losing basketball games. But we've, and we still have only lost two in the season. And I right. will say this, two of those things are happening. Defense is showing up on a nightly basis. The defense is as real as we thought it would be. It's, it's perfectly constructed for that end of the court. There are, there are elite rim protectors. There are athletic guards who are committed to staying in front of their man. Off-ball defense has been better this season. You're not seeing the team get caught flat-footed as often. And then from a turnover standpoint, the team doesn't turn it over like they did last year. Micah Adams-Woods coming into tonight's game led the nation in assist-to-turnover ratio, according to, to Kevin Johnson. Now, he had three turnovers tonight, four assists. I'm sure he's going to not be at that, at that mark now. But two of those things are, are locked in. The rebounding is not. And that's a little surprising to me because I thought with, with guys I could do with our size or with Oguama, Oguama, oh Oguama is an elite rebounder. Look at his rebounding rates at Wake Forest. If there's one thing he brought to the table, it's rebounding. Koval of the big men is, is the weakest of the rebounders. It's not his, it's not his strength though. I would say he's been better on the defensive boards than I would have expected coming into the year. I, I think what I'd like to see Wes experiment with a little bit is a, a heavier dosage of Victor Lockin because I think he's the most talented player on the team. Offensively, he can, he can open some things up that, that need to be opened up. He can be a, a reliable go-to type presence in the post that we desperately need because of our lack of production offensively. Um, but I'd also like to see him experiment with pairing a do in Oguama for stretches and I know that you're, you're, there's no spacing at that point. There's no shooting. But what you're doing is committing yourself to dominating the glass for those minutes. You are, you're playing that strategy of get the ball up on the rim and O or a do are grabbing that ball and putting it back. I think that's worth experimenting with because it doesn't feel like keeping them staggered is it really improving our shooting splits any. So I... That's a combination that I, I wouldn't mind seeing him experiment with to see if it can give us a jolt, to see if it can help us with those rebounding issues. Well, I also don't, don't think it helps when, you know, especially on a night like tonight, when you look at the first half versus the second half, which we got to watch the first half a little bit more. Uh, but we, we, I made the comment about the uh, rebounds. And, and what did you say the stat was? Getting beat on, we were getting, we were getting beat pretty bad on the, on the boards in the first half of tonight's game. It was 20 yeah. to, yeah, I think it was 20 to 28 halftime. It finished at 41 39. And it's not like there's a lack of rebounds out there. I mean, the Bearcats missed their first 11 shots of the game, but we and, gave up 15 offensive boards. Right. We gave up, like, and we're, we're talking about this is a team that played Houston uh, and Bryant. They played Houston their last game, and you said they lost by how many? What was, what was the magic number there? Well, they lost to Houston 111 to 44. And we beat them. We beat them 73 to 58. Granted, offense, you know, am I, are we, am I ever saying the Bearcats, this, this team's going to score 100? Maybe against Thomas Moore. Maybe. Uh, but from a defensive standpoint, 
you know, we could have done better there. And I think a lot of that comes as we give up too many second chance buckets and we need to be better on the, on, on the, on the defensive glass. We can't give up uh, as many offensive boards as we're giving up. It just seems that every team that we're playing and, you know, this was a little close for comfort in the first half. Grant, we, we pulled away here in the later, but you gotta, you gotta be winning those battles, especially like we got a big game coming up against a good squad in Xavier on Saturday. This is, uh, um, officially, I guess it's Sunday. It's the beginning of the week. You know, this is uh, Xavier sucks week. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Xavier That's right. girls are ugly. This is their week. Xavier girls stand up, get your, get your noticing in. You are ugly. Um, but we, we, we're not going to be able to do that. We have to, we have to win those three battles to guarantee victory. We got to do it. Did we not, do we not retire the Xavier girls are ugly moniker? Is that something we haven't retired yet? That's still, do we? That's still a thing. Why isn't it? Eh, I don't know. Well, guess what? <laughs> University of Cincinnati football has more final fours than Xavier. <laughs> I like that one better. Um, here's the thing, Hummer. I- imagine the Bearcats have held teams under 60 points in six of nine games this year. Teams have only cracked the 60 point threshold three times in nine games so far this season. Nobody has scored more than 68 points in a game against the Bearcats. Imagine how much better the defense is if the second chance opportunities aren't there for, for the other team. Imagine if the defensive rebounding picks up and is and starts performing at an elite level. This is an exceptional defense, and I don't want to lose sight of that. Like, Yes, yeah, we're forty. We're forty-three we're on our Kempom defensive adjusted efficiency. We're forty-three. That's respectable. That's not a bad ranking when you consider the difference between you know twenty and forty is not that not that wide. No, and so if but if you're holding teams to that type of point total, don't necessarily get obsessed with the margin of victory because we're not ever going to be a team this season that lights it up offensively. It's just not going to be the case. There's too many guys on this team who can go through a slump shooting the ball. There are not knockdown shooters. There's, there's some t- sometimes, you know, uncertainty of, in terms of how to generate points consistently. But don't get obsessed with the style points on this basketball team. There's not going to be any, but there don't have to be. To me, this this, this is not of, football. This is not football. Style points are not needed. <laughs> no, it's going to be anything but style. But to me, it reeks of a team that's going to be holding the opponent consistently to that 60 point mark. And when you do that, you literally have a chance to win every single game. They're going to find a way most nights to outscore their opponent. Now we'll see how they do against the best teams on the schedule. Xavier is going to be a great challenge at Cintas. That's a great challenge. Houston, an an immense challenge, especially when you consider their rebounding prowess. They beat us by 35 plus points two times last year. Memphis will be a nice challenge. So, there's going to be opportunities to have it tested, but I am not giving up hope on this team. Like I am, is, I'm is still Memphis going to be? Is Memphis going to be a tough challenge? Are they just the worst? Is Penny Hardaway in the running for like the worst coach in NCAA? Like <laughs> he threw. He was the first one. Well, we just got guys in the locker room who, uh, frankly, they just they don't seem to want to win. Like, wow. First guy, first guy out there throwing his players under the bus like that. You know, you sure, Penny? This seems to be a, a trend with Memphis and your, your Memphis squads is uh, underperformance. 
versus the recruiting talent that you're bringing in. Penny's Penny's sure doing a good job proving he's ready just to coach at the next level, right? Exactly. He's coaching a team that's consistently more talented than their opponents, and yet he coaches them to to losses, to unexpected L's. And so you want to send him to the NBA, where his team's not always going to be the most talented every night? And what, he's going to scheme his way to victories? Come on. This guy, Penny. Yeah, um, it's it's weird. I don't get it. But, hey, not my coach, not my problem. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I would say this. So we spent the entire football season with a football team that not for one moment did I – did I have any uncertainty about them winning a game? Like every single game we went into it thinking we're going to win. And then pretty much I would say 90% of the season, 95% of the season, we never felt stress about the outcome of a game, right? That was our football season. That was the experience. That's my opinion. I never worried about losing a game in football. It just the, the team dominated. They dominated teams week in, week out. Fair. The only thing I the only thing I'll add to that from a fear perspective is there was a little slump there, you know. At the beginning of the season, I was on fire, covers left and right, covering Bearcats, cover, 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 one right. The 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 outright picking of Notre Dame, right? There was even the reverse spread, if you would, because we uh you know we were, we were cover cover cover. Get to the point where it's like, okay, we need to back off on the covering because the Bearcats stopped covering for a few games. Never worried about losing the games, just worried about covering. Yeah, so you stressed about covering. That's not even that's not outcomes. But this basketball season, I'm just a dog I'm, disagrees with you. <laughs> I'm just warning fans, Hummer, that this basketball is going to be the actual, the the legitimately exact opposite of what the football season was like. Every single game is going to be clenched fists, changing shirts, sweating, nervousness, anxiety. Every single game is going to be like that. But the good news is we're going to win most of them. I, I, about, I, I truly do believe that we're going to win most of these games. Yeah, and I think that's good. And keep in mind, like, look at Gonzaga, number one team in the country per Kempom. I don't have ESPNs in front of me, so I don't know if they're still number one. I don't really care. Purdue might were, be number one. They were one number now. three before losing to Alabama this week. Two losses. Houston has a loss. Kansas, loss. Villanova, two losses. Duke, loss. UCLA, loss. Two teams in the top 10 in Camp Palmer are undefeated, Purdue and Baylor. It's okay to lose basketball games. It is. It's, it's incredibly challenging to go undefeated in basketball. Uh, incredibly challenging. So you're going to lose basketball games. You want to minimize the games that you're losing to teams like Monmouth. And I think the Bearcats are still capable of doing that. I think right now, if we're watching anything, it's it's maybe a mini slump. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm still not like I'm not panicking on this team. There's there's no there's no panic here, but I am realistic enough to say that this team is gonna lose some ball games. Like it's gonna yeah. they're gonna lose some ball games that we we probably probably think we should win too. Like we're gonna lose some league games, maybe to like unfortunately to like a team like South Florida. We might end up, you know. And it's, it's, be not okay, just it's not the end of the world. Like, it's not just outcome that we should be worried about, though. Like, we also want to look at the product on the court, the process, the journey. How is the team improving? How are they developing? And I would say, if you're going to be offer fair criticism of what we've seen on the court and, and against Miami, Monmouth, now Bryant, there has been a level of disjointedness offensively. 
and they ha- they clearly have not figured out how to play as a unit to consistently generate good looks for the team. I just don't think that they have figured that part out yet. I think it could be coming. I think it's still fixable. The defense shows up every night. That's going to keep us in games. But the for zone us that- defense has been in- has been installed successfully. The man the man defense has been installed successfully. Uh, so I'm glad to see that we got some good CD ROM drives. Internet uh, speeds, in internet speeds, internet sir. Speeds good. Right? West internet brought speeds fiber optic. West went to fiber optic cable. <laughs> uh, no, I think you're right. I mean, look, that's what I'm saying. I'm not panicked on this team yet. There's no panic here. It's okay. There's, like, there's seven and two. Seven and two. Well, yeah. What am I worried about? Nothing. That's Nothing. a better start than most people were expecting. Most people were expecting probably three losses at this point. The team is seven and two. Come on. Yeah, I mean, we were we were expecting a loss at Illinois. Let's be real, um, and we were expecting to win the next game. I think we, we we were probably projecting. I think we were thinking like one to two losses here. We thought I mean, we'd be playing Kansas State. Not I mean, my not season Arkansas. long prediction was twenty four and seven. So yes, I was expecting this, but I would say based on how they've played in these last couple games, there are plenty of reasons to be concerned that that prediction could be a bit bullish um, or or too optimistic all i'm saying is i still think there's a path for that outcome for this team based on how well, to defend and and the pieces that still exist on this team i'm going to tell you what's going to happen on saturday december 11th wes miller will find a way to bring home the w and have his second three game winning streak in his career at the university of cincinnati bearcats head, head basketball coach i'm here for it i think it's possible I don't, don't know if that's impressive. Out, I don't know if that's an impressive stat if it's ever been done before, you know, this early in a career. I don't know, but that's what's going to happen. Bearcats take down Xavier. Are we going to do a special episode this week on just just that? If we do, it'll have to be later in the week. I'm I'm traveling uh, for work Me this too. week, heading heading up to old like we're not Milwaukee. This, we're not giving this matchup the attention it deserves. We'll give it some. I I will make sure we have some sort of special guest. Maybe in the form of like a Dan Masterson type appearance. I have an idea in mind. I'll be in contact with his representatives later this week, and we'll see if we can blast something out for uh, to preview that game. Is this a point in time where we bust out Sam's old? Uh, do we need to repost the article? Oh, that article. Oh, it's one of look. Sam's a fine writer. Not my favorite of his pieces, criticizing why this game doesn't matter. Yeah, it feels like a cowardly take. You heard it here, Sam. Cowardly take. <laughs> Share the article. Send it to us. We'll repost it. It's controversial. We'll only talk about it when he's not here, though, so he can't defend himself. That's right. That's how we do it. All right, Harmon, let's leave it there, buddy. Uh, again, thank you to everybody who has listened to, subscribed, left ratings for the podcast. Please continue to share it with your friends and family, and or, or like I did. I walked around the stadium basically saying, hi, my name is Zach Coomer, and I'm the host of Cincy Slang, and please subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone got annoyed by me, but I'm spreading the word, spreading the gospel. Appreciate it, everybody. Thanks again. We'll see you in Dallas. I'm going to do the one, the, the typical one second here. I think we should share, drop some knowledge here real quick for, for the listeners who are looking to go to Dallas because we know that the flights out of Cincinnati – in Indianapolis were absolutely ludicrous. Um, and I don't know if they're still there. So if you've listened this long, maybe you catch uh, catch some fire here. Uh, but Coomer found some decent 
overpriced flights out of Columbus. That so. it would be would be worth checking out um, if you're still looking to fly. If not, just know it's only a 14 hour drive. You know, that's 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 quicker than getting to Miami. If you had to drive to Miami. Heck? That's like 18 hours, 16 yeah. hours. This, this is this, this can be done in a day. You don't even need a you don't need a shift change, right? You don't need a shift change. Just get a good night of sleep. Don't drink the night before. Get a good night of sleep. No shift change. Drive straight through. End up in Dallas in the morning. Go hard. Go ham. Play Pump It Up the entire way. I love it. We'll see you guys in Dallas. Cheers, buddy. Don't you know Pump It Up?